So we are continuing a series that we started last week, and just as I said last week when we started it, this is a new series, and we're studying through the book of 1 Timothy, and we're going through it chapter by chapter, and as we study it, uh, you know, and going through it in that way, this is a new series. However, this is really just a continuation of um, the last series we did. The last series we spent several weeks just talking about why we do what we do, and looking at our vision and mission and core values of our church, and and just why are those important? How can we stand on that? How do we live those out in our lives? And, and yet we talked about the, the discipleship or, or the, the faith journey that we're all on and those steps that we grow through and, and how we continue to, to grow through those in our faith journey. We, we first join the journey of faith by receiving Christ as our personal Savior and we, you know, ask that forgiveness, inviting him into our life. And, and then we continue in that journey and growing as a disciple of Jesus. And the overall goal of a Jesus follower is to be a disciple who helps make other disciples. We saw that in the Great Commission, right? That that God wants the whole world to be saved, but also then once we are saved, we grow as a disciple and to the point where we help other people be disciples. And we see at the kind of the the conclusion of our faith journey, not conclusion, but the culmination of that, we move through these, these growths of faith through our strategy and our mission as a church that we get to that place where we are ready to mentor someone else, meaning that, that we will be a spiritual parent to someone else who's not as far along on the journey as, as we are. And as we looked at it and to see that concept, again, that's the ultimate goal, right? That we get to be a place in our own faith, right? That we grow to be a spiritual parent for someone else. And that is really the theme of this series, though, is the companion for the journey. As we are studying, um, you know, the, the book of First Timothy, and as we are, are seeing this relationship between Paul and and Timothy, and how Paul was, was Timothy's spiritual parent. And we saw the foundation of this relationship last week when we started in the, in, and looked at the intro of the letter. We're going to start there again today. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where it says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith, and may God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. We saw last week as the the, the foundation that Paul lays here in these first two verses of of this spiritual parent and spiritual child relationship. We, We first see that every believer should have spiritual children. That's the natural culmination of our faith, right, is that we get to the place where we can invest in someone else. Right, and help them grow. And, and not just help them grow, but also that we are showing the world who Jesus is through our lives, right? especially to those who don't yet know him. And as we look at our community, and especially even just our community here in Middleton and in Caldwell and the surrounding area, is there are lots and lots of people that we interact with every day that do not know Jesus as their Savior. And yet, what are we doing as followers of him um, to, to contribute to God's kingdom and the fuzzy microphones and everything, All right? And um, but as as we see, we see every believer should have spiritual children. Okay. The next thing we see, though, is that when we come into that relationship, that that the power of this relationship comes from God. It's not from me. It's not anything that I have to fabricate or make up on my own. It's it's that the power of God enters into these relationships, and that I just have to be faithful to show them who God is as I grow in my own faith and show them how to grow in theirs. Right, that the power of this relationship truly comes from God. It's not from me. Because the truth is, only God can save. 
right? And it is his, by his power that also transforms hearts. I can't save anyone. I can't even save myself, right? And also, again, I can transform, I can't transform my heart. I could transform my heart, but not towards Christ. I'm going to be more like Christ by his power as it's released in my life. And then the, we also see that we will both consume from this partnership. Right? As we talked about, the overall you know, arch of, of the faith journey is that we start out consuming and move towards contributing. But yet, once we start contributing, we also grow in our own faith because we, we learn more from, from serving than we will from just consuming the things of God. And again, being a disciple who, who makes other disciples is the culmination of the consume and contribute concept. And that we will both grow from this partnership of being a spiritual parent and a spiritual child. Again, we have several in our church that are spiritual parents or companions to other people in their faith. And, and those companion leads, will, they will all tell you that they learn more from their companion than what they teach them, they feel. Right? But it's a relationship that, that both grow from. And so we see at the end of chapter 1, after we went through last week, after this intro, and we see this foundation of this parent-child and parent, uh, spiritual parent relationship, that, that Paul goes in and gives some very practical advice to Timothy on how to live out his, his faith and his role, and, and that now he's, he's moving into being a spiritual parent for this church that Paul has left him behind to lead. Right? And Paul is encouraging him and giving him very practical advice on, on this is how you live out that call and become a spiritual parent for all of those in your church. And, and chapter 2 is just really just a continuation of chapter 1 in that he continues to give practical advice to Timothy about how to live into this call and to fulfill this new season that he's in as a leader of this congregation. And so before we jump into the text this morning and, and continue through to look at some of this practical advice, I want to start with this concept, and it's one that we need to keep in the forefront of our mind um, anytime we come to Scripture. Because when we see, see a passage and, and say, okay, what, what does this passage teach me? What do I need to live out in my life today right, that is given to me in this passage? We must, though, always ask the question, when we, when we um, approach a text of Scripture, is, is this teaching me a cultural or situational guideline that applied to those, to the original audience when it was written? Or is this a universal and foundational guideline that applies to all believers and all time? Is, it, is this a universal truth? Or is this a cultural or situational truth that is given for a specific situation. And, and again, this is one we need to always ask of every passage. And especially as we look into some of these New Testament letters that, again, were written for very, to very specific people, right, for very specific situations. Just as we see just in the intro verses, we know this letter was written to a specific person, right, for a specific situation. Now, with that said, there are lots of universal truths that we can apply to our lives and that, that can help us move forward in our faith that we need to live out. But the truth is, both of these are present within Scripture. So we're going to open uh, up God's Word this morning. We're going to dive into our text for today, which is 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so I invite you to open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you have your Bible with you. If you don't have your own Bible with you this morning, or, um, or don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use if you're here with us in person. If you're online, I hope you can, again, grab your Bible or just pull it up on your computer. But we're going to read here the first... Um, first part, the first section of First Timothy chapter 2 this morning, which is the first seven verses. 
So where it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is a good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone, and this is the message that God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. Now, as we pause there, and before we move into the second section of the text, because I want to pause there because there are um, some very important truths that, that, Tim, uh, that Timothy learns here from Paul's advice, from these few verses. As he continues on, right, from his practical advice, um, then he moves into the very first verse here in 1 Timothy. And this is a very universal truth, not just for, for biblical leaders, or especially not just for church leaders, but for all believers. Okay, and that is, is the truth, that prayer is an integral part of being a biblical leader. Okay, prayer is an integral part of being a biblical leader. Now, again, the goal of all of our faith is to be a disciple that we can make disciples. So we're all going to lead someone, right? Which means we all need to pray. We need to have an active prayer life, right? It is integral. It is, it is most important. In fact, as we look at, at this verse, back at verse 1, we, we can see kind of the urgency or, you know, how, how important this is to Paul. Because he says, he's like, I urge you. First of all, right, like, forget, nothing else comes before this. The first thing, Timothy, pray. Like, don't, don't move on, either. don't deal with situation, don't, don't make decisions, don't do anything, Timothy, until you pray. I urge you, first of all, to pray. It's, it, it's that important. And, and again, as we, we look at that, that active prayer life that, that we all believers need and that, that needs to be a, a part of, of what we're doing as we pursue our own faith and as we, we reach out to others and be a spiritual parent, we need to model a life of prayer. And when we pray, he says, is ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Again, pray for other people, not just yourself, but pray for them. Right? And don't forget to give thanks for them. Now, especially in the context of being a, a, a biblical leader, even a church leader, remember Timothy is leading this church. And, and the truth is, when, when, no matter what you lead, you have to make decisions that, that some people are not going to like. Right? And, and, and again, Paul's telling him, he's like, remember to pray for them. And not just pray for them, but, but, but always give thanks for them. Right? Even if it's a critic, even if they don't agree with you, Timothy, still give thanks for them, still pray for them, still intercede for them. Again, in, in, in a lot of ways, this is what, um, again, Paul's reiterating this concept that Jesus taught, right, about praying for our enemies. As Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, to not just pray for those that you like or that are in agreement with, but also pray for those that are in opposition of you. Prayer is an integral part of every believer's life. At least it should be. As we 
Um, as I look back at my life and about my, you know, learning and growing and some of the spiritual parents that I have in my life, and as I was um, studying and preparing to be a pastor, when I was in college, I interned for many in a few different churches and volunteer in places, and, and I had many just spiritual parents in my life that, that poured into me as I was preparing, you know, to be a full-time pastor. And, and one, of, one of the men that I interned under, when, when I finished that internship with him and was moving on to the next season of my growth and of my leadership, was he gave me a few different things, and I moved on from, from that role. And again, one of the things that he gave me is still on the top of the shelf in my office today. In fact, I took this picture just the other day. Yeah, you see there on the, on, on the top of the shelf is this little foam mat. Okay, and he wrote on that mat, he said, ministry starts here. Again, and that foam mat is a knee cushion for when you pray. Right, and it was a lesson, again, that one of my spiritual parents involved in me in is saying, don't forget, pray. Right, pray a lot. Okay, pray for them. I mean, the, we see the same urging, right, from Paul to Timothy. And like I said, again, these people poured into me in the same way. And, and again, I leave it in my office up there, and it's right up in the corner on top. So when I'm sitting at my desk, and I look up, and I see it. And when I see it, it reminds me to stop and to pray. Right, because that's where it starts. Right, and that's where your ministry starts. Again, every believer has a ministry. Right, ministry is not just about... Uh, the professional career track, right, of, of a pastor, but every believer has a ministry, okay, and that's where ministry starts. It starts on your knees, praying, right, and then Paul continues on through this passage as he, he moves on from verse one into verses two through four, where, where he gives Timothy two things, right, that will please God. He said, Timothy, start with prayer, and then, then your next step, when you move on from prayer, just do these two things, and these will please God. Again, this is how you are going to make God smile as a biblical leader. Okay, there are two things, and he describes two things. First off, in verse 2, he describes a peaceful and quiet life marked by godliness and dignity. Like he said, right, he says, continue to pray for all those in authority, for for all those that are put there, for, for everybody, as you continue to pray, right, do that. And then so that you can live a peaceful and quiet life marked by godliness and dignity. Again, this, when you think about that phrase, and I don't know about you, but I think about myself and in my life and saying, does that phrase always describe me in every moment? Nope. It doesn't. Yeah, because my journey's not over. Right? I still have growing to do, and so do you. We all are moving forward. Now, again, this, you think about this idea, this concept of, of living a peaceful and quiet life marked by godliness and dignity. That feels like perfection. Remember, God's not looking for perfection. God is looking for growth. But that is still the goal. Again, I want to be more godly tomorrow than I am today. Right? I, want, I want my word to mean something, to have dignity. Right, that I can live a peaceful and a quiet life as, I, as I'm walking with God every day, that I'm going to journey forward in my faith, right? that I'm going to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. Growth. With my goal being to be just like Christ, who was perfect. Not perfection yet, but growth. 
that, and when we move forward in that, right, me moving forward in my own faith, that, again, is the biblical definition of discipleship, right, of being a, a better disciple, growing a little bit every day, right, towards this goal. And that's, that's the first way that we will make God smile is, is if our lives are moving towards a peaceful and quiet life that's marked by godliness and dignity. And then he gives the second thing in verse 4. The second thing that will make God smile is if everyone is saved. Everyone being saved would, would make God smile. Again, that's, that's the heart of who God is, right? He wants to save everyone. You can go back to the Great Commission, right? He's going to all nations. Right? Who's excluded from the gospel message? No one. Everyone to be saved. Again, we see that, that once again, is the, is the biblical definition of evangelism, right? That we are sharing the gospel message with everyone who needs it and who needs the gospel message. The whole world. And again, whether it's for a church or whether it's for an individual, we need both this discipleship and evangelism to be a part of our lives for us to have a healthy faith and to have be a healthy faith community as a church. We need discipleship to be happening. We need to be growing in our own faith every day, right? And we also need to see evangelism happening. We need to be reaching those who do not know Christ. And that's true for to be a healthy follower myself, right? Is that true of me? And, and is that true, again, for us as a church? Are we not just focused inwardly, but also fo focused outwardly on those that do not yet know Jesus? And what role do we play? Right? Are we making God smile, not just as individuals, but as a church? Again, in verses 5 and 6, he once again reiterates, clearly states the truth that everyone needs to understand, and that is who Jesus is and how they're saved. Right? He, he restates the gospel message in verses 5 and 6. Again, to make God smile, we need to be living out the gospel every day, which means we need to be reminded of the gospel every day. Because if it's not right in front of us, right, it, it easily slips back into the background. Which is exactly, I believe, why Jesus instituted the sacrament of communion. Again, what did Jesus tell us to do? He said, do this to remember me. So we don't forget the gospel, right? So it's in the front of us all the time that we, so that we truly can live it out every day. And then in verse 7, Paul kind of makes this own kind of personal, um, you know, dig it himself, right, where he reiterates his call, and he's like, and again, and I have been called, you know, as an apostle to the Gentiles, and to reach out to all of this, and, and again, it's verses like verse 7 in his letters is why people tend to think that Paul's a little bit arrogant, right, and yet, you know, God did call him, and that's the truth, and some of that arrogance might be needed into the communities that Paul has gone into, and but again, God called him, and, and we see that, again, he is a godly man that's working through this and investing in Timothy. And then he makes the statement at the end of verse 7, which again seems incredibly arrogant, unless it applies to everything he just taught. He says, I'm not exaggerating, I'm just telling the truth. Again, he's not, you know, boosting himself, I don't feel like, in that statement, that last phrase. I think he's going back and saying, I'm not exaggerating over any of these things. God really does care about prayer that much. Right? You really do need to live a quiet life that's marked with godliness and dignity. And God really does want everyone to be saved. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, it's that important to God. 
And therefore, it should be that important to us as his followers. And as you see, uh, you know, he, he kind of concludes with the statement, and then he moves into this next section of chapter 2, okay, and um, where he goes into the next set of practical advice. Okay, and and this, this next section is verses 8 through 15. Now, but before we read this text, I just want to pause and just say okay, that this text, verses 8 through 15, is among the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. Okay, literally, this text has divided denominations, has divided churches. It's been one that Christians have, have debated over for centuries. And I can tell by the nodding and smiling by some of you, some of you have read ahead. Right, but we're going to jump into it today. And so um, here we are, right, is First Timothy picking up at verse 8. It says, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first and afterwards he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Okay, let's all just take a deep breath. We, we got through it, right? We read it. And now once again, before we dive in and unpack this passage, okay, because we're going to do that, we're going to unpack this passage. Hey, but before we do that, let me remind you of where we started this morning. Okay, we need to, to evaluate what is cultural and situational and what is universal and foundational guidelines. Remember, both are present in Scripture. Okay, and and as, as we look at that, okay, I believe there are some universal and foundational biblical truths that we need to, to go back and remind ourselves of before we unpack this specific passage. Okay, and and so, so we're going to work through it. Okay, the first off, the first universal, foundational, biblical truth that we need to remember at the forefront in our minds before we interpret this passage, okay, is the fact that men and women are not the same. Again, this is a universal biblical truth, right? And again, you, you don't have to talk to the opposite gender for more than a few minutes to realize how true this is, okay? Men and women are not the same, okay? And, and now, again, it goes way beyond anatomy, the way we see the world is different, the way we process decisions, the way we feel emotions, the way we, we, the way we think. I mean, we're very different. Men and women are very different. And God made it that way on purpose. It was part of his design. The men and women are not the same. In fact, we, we go back to, to Genesis, to, to the creation of humankind. Again, Paul, Paul does that here in this passage. He goes back and he, he, he you know, references the Genesis story. Hey, when we go back all the way to the beginning, Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 27, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. The image of God that he created them, male and female, he created them. 
Now, again, real, again, men and women are not the same, and that's by God's design. That was God's idea, was to make men and women different. Because the truth is, if that wasn't the truth, right, then this verse would stop after the first sentence. Right? So God created human beings in his own image. It would stop there. But it doesn't, does it? Because he made them male and female. They are both in God's image, both created by God, but they're different in some very important ways. And this, again, this difference goes way beyond anatomy. If we were basically the same in every way other than anatomy, then God didn't need to create two genders, and he would not have done it. Again, the differences between men and women go way beyond anatomy and procreation. God could have figured it out. Because God could do that. Now to say, there's been a lot of research and teaching about the differences between men and women, especially in the marriage context, right? And, and those, again, if, you, if you're interested in looking at the diff, all the differences between men and women, then I encourage you, you can find it. It's, it's all over, you know, all, some great resources, some not very good resources about the differences between men and women. Again, but that's really not, we're not diving deep into that this morning. But again, we need to know that the universal truth is that men and women are not the same. And that is a good thing. Right? That completes our world. The next universal truth we need to look at biblically before we jump into this specific passage is, is the fact that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers. Okay, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers. Okay, and this, again, is referencing um, Pentecost. This is described in Acts 2. This is what Jesus promised you know, the, the helper, and he said, it's good for you that I go so that, so that the advocate will be given and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And again, in that event, is known as Pentecost. It's described in Acts chapter 2. And here we see um, in, this, in this moment here, Peter, one of the apostles, right? The, in fact, the leader of many of the Jewish churches who had Paul's role in the Jewish context. Okay, Peter, the same Peter that was a disciple that interacted with Jesus every day for, for all of those times. Again, Peter speaks in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And, and when he says this, he's literally quoting the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. So again, this truth applies to Old Testament and New Testament alike. right? Where Peter says, he says, In those last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. Again, this was an Old Testament concept that Peter, Peter reiterates in Acts 2 when it's happening, right? As this prophecy from Joel was, was explaining what was happening in that moment at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers. Anybody who believes in Christ receives him as their Savior, receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells their heart and lives within you and you become, right, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, again, is given to Everyone, men and women alike, it literally calls out gender, doesn't it? It's all believers. And when we see that happen, then again, we have that, the Holy Spirit then living in the heart of every believer, no matter, no matter your gender. Right? And, and with that, the Holy Spirit then works in our lives right? and, and grows through, through things. And, and yet again, the Holy Spirit works in all believers. And we see here, Later, in another letter in Galatians, which was also written by Paul, the same guy who wrote 1 Timothy, they also wrote Galatians. And he says in chapter 3, verses 26 and 28, it says, For 
you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, reiterates the gospel message, right? How do we get saved? Through Christ Jesus. We're all children. And there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? All believers receive the Holy Spirit in the same way. Right? The Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers. Again, one of the roles, the things that, that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer is the Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts. Every believer has spiritual gifts. Okay, because the Holy Spirit's poured out on all believers, right? We all get spiritual gifts, and, and which is the, the next universal truth that I want to point out here before we jump into this passage, and that is that spiritual gifts are not gender-specific. Okay, spiritual gifts are not gender-specific. Gender we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, this was written by Paul, again, the same guy who wrote Galatians, same guy who wrote Timothy. And he, he's explaining this concept of spiritual gifts and how the Holy Spirit gives them in chapter 12. And he illustrates it in this way. He's in, in verse 4 through 7. He says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. You know, when you look at this, this passage and, and others that describe spiritual gifts, there, there, there are a lot of them, right? We have the spiritual gift of, of pastor-shepherd. We have the spiritual gift of teaching. We have the gift of prophecy, which has been referenced in some of these passages. We have the gift of hospitality, the gift of healing. I mean, I, I, we can go on. There's, there's actually 23 of them that are named in Scripture of spiritual gifts. And none of them are gender-specific. Again, who decides who gets which gift? I mean, it says the, the, the Holy Spirit does. That is God's choice. That is not us. Again, this, we see this illustration within chapter 12, right? As this is described, that, that these spiritual gifts are given. Right? But they are not gender, gender specific. In fact, we see God use men and women in many leadership roles all throughout Scripture. It is true in the Old Testament. Right? God calls women to the same roles he puts men in. It is true in the New Testament. All of the apostles, including Paul, used women in various roles within the leadership structure of the early church. And, and to say is that we see that this, these universal truths are out. Again, who wrote this passage, again, wrote a lot of these. And we see that. And again, we as a movement, our church, and, as, and again, we are affiliated with Church of God of Anderson, Indiana. And our movement takes the stance that women can be in leadership. Now, again, this is a, this is a divisive issue among Christian churches. Denominations have literally split over this issue. And yet, that is the stance that we take when we believe biblically because of these and other truths, right? That's the stance we take. Again, if you want to dive deeper into this, the, the, where we are at as Church of God and, what, and why we believe that, again, um, there are, our general director for our movement right now, his name is Jim Lyon, he wrote an article uh, several months ago because it kind of hit within Christian, there was some very public comments made about Beth Moore and about her leadership role. And and again, our, our general director, Jim Lyon, wrote an article, you know, in response to that and reiterating just our stance as, as a movement of churches. So if you're interested in that, you can dive deeper into this issue. That article is available for you at the Welcome Center in, the, in, 
in the foyer. You can grab that after service if you're interested. Okay, but to say that, so we understand these, these universal biblical guidelines about leadership and about gender. Right? We, we see these truths, and yet yeah, we also just read this passage, didn't we? Right? And, and it seems pretty clear the stance that he's taking here in these verses. And so that naturally then leads to, to the question, is this a contradiction in the Bible? Okay, now, as we ask that question, right, so what, what, did, what did Paul mean? I mean, he wrote it, right? But yet he also wrote to some of these other general ones. Now, again, we, we believe that Scripture is our foundation, right? It is our roadmap. We believe it is inerrant. We believe that it does not contradict itself, right? And that the Holy Spirit, again, would inspire these words and would not contradict it. And so, again, but it's, it's, a, it's a natural question. So let's unpack it, right? Let's answer that question. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? Because I do not believe it is. Okay, so as we start, again, let's look at all of these. First off, we see that Paul has already addressed the value of a peaceful and quiet life in verse 2. Did he not? He did. And on this command in verse 2, to live a peaceful and quiet life, was addressed to all believers, not just women, was it not? It was. And as we see that, again, this same idea is then reiterated in verse 11 but to a more specific situation that I believe Timothy was dealing with firsthand in the church that he was leading. Right? And so Paul gives this advice to him here in verse 11. It's not new advice. It's advice he was already directed earlier in the passage to all believers. And he's saying, now there are these women that you need to make sure understand that. Okay, now also when you look at verse 12, okay, where it says that women are not permitted to teach. Hey, now this word, this Greek word that is used in that verse, in verse 12, that is translated as teach, is just like all Greek words. Anytime you translate between different languages, words have different connotations. Hey, now another way you can translate that word that is translated as teach in this version is it could also be translated as dominate. And so he said, I will not permit women to dominate over men. Now again, the other biblical truth that we see, which Paul already established in chapter 1 of the letter, is that we are not to be dominated by any fellow believer. That we are all submitted to Christ as our Lord together, side by side. And again, the clear gospel message has already been given earlier in the chapter. And then verses 13 through 15, Paul uses the Genesis story as an illustration of why God made Adam and Eve, right? And that he created this, but again, that we are not to be dominated by any other believer, regardless of gender, right? Because we are all dominated by Christ. We are submitted to Christ as our authority. And we are to grow side by side together as believers. Again, have you, as he references creation, have you ever wondered or thought about why did God create Eve out of Adam's side? Because God could have created Eve out of any part of Adam, right? He, that was, he's God. He could do whatever he wants. Right? Why did he create her out of his side? Because he, he could have created her out of using his head. But also God would not, did not want to create a power structure issue between Adam and Eve. And again, God did not make Eve out of Adam's foot because he did not want her trampled upon by him or even him to dominate her. 
but he created her from his side so that they would work through life side by side together. Difference, because Adam needed a helper, right? But together, side by side. Because the truth is that men and women need each other, right? We need each other's strengths. Again, and the undertone of these verses leans more towards a husband and wife dynamic than a broad man and woman directive. Again, all through scripture, we see marriage is used as an illustration of how the church should function with God and with one another. Again, the definition of biblical marriage is that God makes the husband and wife one flesh, that they are bonded together in a unique way by God. They have different roles, absolutely, but they are united together as one. And Paul uses this same language describing the body of Christ earlier or in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage that we've already looked at a portion of this morning. In fact, in verse 26, he says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Again, that includes both men and women. Also, thinking on this theme of this husband and wife dynamic versus a man and woman broader situation, again, we also must understand that the church that Timothy was leading was meeting in a home. In fact, all of the New Testament churches met in homes. They did not have designated church buildings. And the cultural view at that time was that the home was to be led by the male. No questions asked. And in fact, that belief is still a widely held position through most of the world today. The United States of America is unique in that way. And when we think about that, again, from that perspective, again, Paul is addressing a husband and wife dynamic. But but he's also, again, remember, what's the goal of the letter? The goal of the letter is for Paul to, to instruct Timothy on how to lead this church well and how to to make God smile, right? To grow in your own faith and also to make sure that everyone gets saved. And as Paul's addressing this to Timothy about this specific situation, he is admonishing Timothy to lead this church well and to extend the gospel into the non-believing culture within the community. And Paul was telling Timothy that this is an issue that could hold back your church, Timothy, if you don't handle it correctly. And it will ultimately hold back the gospel from being spread. And so the bigger, I believe, the biblical, biblical truth that we need to take from this passage is not, is not a gender issue, but it is a church issue. Right? One that means that, again, we as a church, that we need to evaluate church culture from a worldly perspective. That Paul is telling Timothy, you need to, you need to handle this situation, you need to handle it delicately, Right, but handle it firmly because the situation is brewing in this church with some women in your church is going to hold back the gospel. Right, because the unbelieving world will see this house and say it is not being run correctly. Right, and if that's what following Jesus means, then I want nothing to do with that. Right, and, and with that said, now again, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have several bad habits, but one of those bad habits is that as believers, we expect non-believers to act like believers. Okay, and that is a bad habit of Christian culture. 
Right, again, and what the world sees is that, well, I have to be at this certain point in my life. I have to stop doing this before I can ever come to church. Right, or I have to give up that habit. Or I have, to, I have to change before I can come to the foot of the cross. And that is absolutely not biblical. And that is not the gospel message. Right, that God accepts us exactly where we are, wherever we are, whatever bad habits we have, whatever sins we have, whatever it might be. God accepts us there, but, and then he forgives us and cleanses us, and he's, but he won't leave us the same either, really. Right, and so we, again, have to ask that question. What might we be doing as the church that might be hindering people from joining the journey of faith? Because the unbelieving world is watching us. Right, and what are they seeing? What might I be doing personally that might be hindering someone from joining the journey of faith? Again, this goes back to our responsibility as a church with core value number four, which says that everyone is welcome. Again, do we as a church actually portray that you are welcome even if you're not perfect? I hope we do because that is the gospel message. Again, I'm not saying that we need to change biblical standards or water down the gospel to get more converts. I want to be very clear. That is not what I'm saying. Right? We do not change what the biblical standards are or what the biblical message of the gospel is in order to be more attractive to the world. But we do need to ask the question, is there something in my attitude or in my posture or in my actions that I could change to better show the world who Jesus is? Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, again, Paul says, he says, when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone. Do everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. And again, I believe this is the bigger concept that Paul is addressing in this passage to Timothy. Again, what makes God smile? It's, it's everyone being saved. And again, Paul is telling Timothy, do whatever you have to do to make sure that people find Jesus, the real Jesus, the real gospel message, right? That there might not be something that you can address or fix within the church that will, that will aid in the unbelieving world finding out who Jesus really is. What makes God smile? Us leading a peaceful and quiet life marked with godliness and dignity. Me growing in my own faith will make God smile. Right? Everyone being saved because who needs the gospel message? The whole world. Everyone. Right? When we think about that idea, again, what is my role in God's goal? I need to grow in my own faith, right? Which starts with me joining the journey of faith. If you've never received Christ as your Savior before, you've never confessed your sin to him and asked him in your heart, then, then that's how you join the journey of faith. And you start there. And then you start this new journey of growing, right? That's the first way I make God smile. And the second way is that everyone is saved. And how do I, as a follower of Jesus, help everyone else see who Jesus really is in the unbelieving world? Which leads me to my final thought this morning, and that is this. We make God smile when we take our faith journey seriously and honestly evaluate myself in the church. How will you make God smile this week? How are you going to make God smile this week? Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey, right, but wherever you are, I hope you'll take the next step in your faith journey. If that's receiving Christ as your Savior for the very first time, then do that. 
Right, if it's taking a next step in your own journey of discipleship, then do that. If it's just sharing who God is with somebody who doesn't know him, then do that. But all of those things will make God smile. Lord God, our prayer this morning, God, is that we can even get out of our own way if that's what we need to do, Lord, to see your work continue. God, get out of our way in our own faith journey, God, whatever might be holding us back, God. I pray that you will help us to give it up to you. God, to be still and give it over. God, whatever might be hindering the gospel in our community, God, I pray that, that, Lord, we can turn it over to you, that we can get out of the way, Lord, and let your spirit move. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that we will live out our faith with everything we have. God, that we will show this world who you really are and how much you love them. And God, how much you want to save them. God, I pray that as we go this week, God, that we would truly shine your light in this dark world as we grow in our own faith and as we reach out to our unbelieving community around us. God, use us. God, to accomplish your will, and that's to save everyone. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.